The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush, and you're listening to the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the resignation of the Welsh First Minister, Mark Drakeford. Hello, I'm Anoush Shekelian, Britain editor at the New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me down the line from Cardiff, I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Hexter, host of the excellent Welsh politics podcast, Heraith a political consultant and former advisor to Welsh Labour MPs. Yesterday, Wales's first minister, Mark Drakeford, announced his resignation after exactly five years in office. He drew tributes for his tenure at PMQs from both leaders, with Keir Starmer describing him as a true titan of Welsh politics. He'd been saying as long ago as 2018 that he wouldn't serve another term and was expected to stand down at some point soon to give enough time to bed in a new Welsh Labour leader before a general election. In his resignation speech, he said he'll step down in March with a new leader due to be elected before Easter. Matt, we have been waiting for his departure at some point soon for some time, as I've said. Um, But is the timing significant, given the draft budget is due to be announced next week? (laughs) Hi, Anoush. As you say, I think this has been expected for some time. Um, For us who dwell in the Cardiff Bay bubble, any news of this scale is always going to be a bit of a shock when it happens on the day. But uh, as you said, it's been it's been predicted for an awfully long time that he would go at some point in the next six months to a year because, as you said, he said he'd either only serve five years as term, he'd only serve uh, till halfway in the Senate term, he'd uh, stand down before he turned 70. So this is all kind of in keeping with, with what we were expecting. And what struck you from his resignation speech? Did anything stand out? You've been following his tenure for a long time. I think it's all the kind of things that you would expect from Mark in terms of what he's going to focus on for the time he's got left. I mean, there's a massive constitutional focus on it. And I think that's no major surprise, given that the Senate is currently considering legislation that would uh, have huge impacts on its structure. So it would reform it itself from having 60 MSs to having 96. Uh, also completely changing our electoral system, ridding ourselves of first past the post and having a purely proportional electoral system. These are big, huge constitutional changes that we're going to see. Um, Also, his focus on the Independent Constitutional Commission for Wales, which I'm sure will feed into the work that the UK Labour Party is doing in terms of how it thinks about the constitutional future of the UK. So he's very focused on that. But there's also things like like the budget, which he says we've got to get passed before uh, next year or before the next financial year. Um, Things like council tax and non-domestic rates reform that we're currently doing at the moment. There's also the significant uh, news that the COVID inquiry will come to Wales in March and he's focused on that as well. Mm. And how about personally? Because I remember um, he had to work during lockdown from his garden shed, didn't he, to protect his wife who was shielding. And she sadly died suddenly in January this year. I wonder if there were any personal circumstances behind his decision to go when he's decided to go. I have to pay tribute to Mark, you know, the strength of an ox for carrying on in that role for as long as he has after that hugely traumatic loss of his wife. I think it's a testament to his sense of duty and public service, really, that he's carried on as long as he has. Um, I think we've all in the uh, Welsh commentariat loved seeing Mark at his allotment and hopefully he'll get a bit more allotment time now when he stands down. Uh, But in terms of the personal uh, sense of things, I, I don't think so. I think this was... Mark thinking this is the right time to go. As you, we're all predicting a general election, well, I'm personally predicting it in May. So I think he wants to make sure there's someone 
new and fresh that can lead the Welsh leg of that campaign for Labour uh, when that happens at some point next year. Right. Okay. And I'm glad you mentioned allotments because I want to talk a bit about his his reputation as first minister. I think rather lazily across the border in England, he was characterised as Cardiff's Corbyn. Um, and there are some who still see him as that last remaining bastion of the Labour left in a position of, sort of significant power in the party. Was that a fair characterisation? I think whilst Mark has uh, always been of what we call the Welsh socialist stripe, quite openly, quite proud socialist, I think that you are better looking at uh, ideology like progressive universalism when trying to work out what Marx's politics are. Clear pride in nation and in Wales, but not in a uh, jingoistic fashion. Uh, and I think that whilst he obviously supported Jeremy Corbyn during the initial and subsequent Labour leadership uh, elections that happened a few years ago, there is quite a marked difference in their approach. And I think one of the key factors in how successful Mark has managed to be in Wales is how he's managed to keep all the Welsh Labour factions together and working together in quite a harmonious way, which is, I think, in stark contrast to what we saw at a UK Labour level. Yes. And and perhaps he became most prominent to most people during the pandemic because that was when the devolved nations started straying significantly from, from the UK government's um, own sort of uh, approach to it. And actually, he, he benefited from a big bounce, didn't he, in the Senate elections in 2021. Um, what did you make of his handling of the pandemic? Well, I think COVID will be his legacy. I'm sure we'll get into that in a bit, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that uh, that will be his legacy. You know, he may wish to craft one for himself, but unfortunately, legacies tend to be written for us <laughs> rather than us having too much of a say in what they are. So COVID is going to be a defining moment from his premiership. I think that so many people say that he wanted to mark a clear path for Wales in how he handled uh, COVID. And I don't think that's true. I think that Mark, although he is not the flag-waving variety of unionists, he is a clearly ideological unionist. He believes in the redistributed power of the United Kingdom state. This is why in Wales we've never massively tinkered with tax. It's why Mark has rejected calls for devolution, the devolution of welfare in any meaningful way. He wanted a four nations approach to COVID and he only uh, moved away from that when he felt that the actions of the UK government would be unsafe for the people of Wales. So I, I, I take some umbrage with the idea that he did that to, you know, there's some arguments that he wanted to be different for different sake. And I, I just don't think that's the case. Right. Okay. That's interesting. And since then, he has implemented the divisive policy of the default 20 mile per hour speed limit in Wales. And this is something Labour politicians who I've heard from in England are quite worried about because they see it as an unpopular policy, which it is, um, and something the Conservatives can use against them perhaps in a general election campaign. With They already have this attack line that Labour anti-motorist uh, here. Um, how is it affecting Welsh Labour's reputation, this policy? So I think it's clear whether it's causation or correlation that since the implementation of the 20 mile an hour policy, that polling for Welsh Labour and for Mark Drakeford personally has taken a hit. I think that the Welsh government have responded to that. And if you look at the work that's going on behind the scenes in the climate change department with local authorities in Wales, who ultimately are the ones who will set what roads are 20 mile an hour or otherwise, it's clear that they've taking on the feedback now from that policy and are going to make some changes where maybe egregious implementation has occurred. But I, 
it's very difficult to say to what extent this will actually impact any future Senate elections. I mean, we've seen a huge petition, the largest petition ever recorded at a Senate level uh, to get rid of the 20 mile an hour policy had over half a million signatures, which for Wales is, is a big petition. So it's clear that there are so, still some people who want that policy to be removed. How much that motivates them to vote is, is left to be seen. I think that from my understanding, MPs are more concerned about it, like you say, because their election is likely to be much sooner. Um, and I, it would not shock me, no, if the Conservatives made that a, a focus of their general election campaign. I, I, we see in the Senate on a daily basis uh, that they, the Conservatives here are also making that claim that the Labour Party are anti-motorists, whether that be through the implementation of the 20 mile an hour policy or the roads review process, which, although it didn't ban the building of roads, certainly cancelled, saw the cancellation of a number of road building projects in Wales. So yes, it wouldn't surprise me if that forms part of their campaign. But like we've seen with, with Uxbridge, um, whilst that may cause some concern in certain constituencies, whether that has an impact across Wales, I'm not quite so sure. Because there are other problems too that Conservative politicians do like to dwell on. And, you know, it's sort of become a bit of a cliche at PMQs for Rishi Sunak to bring up Labour run Wales. So you have much of the problems with public infrastructure as we have in England, like the NHS waiting lists, sewage in the waterways, councils facing bankruptcy. And we talked about those tough um, spending decisions that will have to be made in the budget. Um, can you see this being a problem for Labour in Wales in a general election or in future Senate elections? Of course, how a government runs public services is going to impact how people vote for them in the next general election. But I think in Wales, we've come to some understanding that the purse strings are still held primarily at a Westminster level. And one of the first lines of defense from any Welsh Labour politician when asked about public services is always, we have been chronically underfunded for 13 years by a UK Conservative government. And I do think that message has uh, shone through. Of course, there will be people who say, regardless of the money, you should be running things better. But I don't think you can detach the management of the NHS in Wales from the context of the funding situation. So there will be some who discard it, there will be others who completely understand it. From my understanding and looking at the polling, that has never had a significant impact on how people determine they're going to vote at the next election, whether that be Senate or Westminster. So I don't think it will matter hugely. Um, I think since the pandemic, there is a more, more of an understanding of who runs the NHS in Wales. I mean, previously, uh, before the pandemic, you'd have this rather perverse situation where people would attribute anything good that happened in Wales to the Welsh government, even if it wasn't devolved, and anything bad that happened to the UK government, even if it was devolved. So I think that then we may be seeing some uh, evolution from that rather weird circumstance, but I, I, I can't see it making a massive difference to how Welsh Labour poll in any upcoming elections in Israel. Right. And does that argument work even where Wales appears to be performing worse than England, for example, in pupils' progress in their educational outcomes, which is something that has been pointed out by some Conservative politicians? Sure. And I think we've seen in the last couple of weeks the rather disappointing PISA scores from Wales, which is now with Wales being consistently uh, the lowest ranked UK nation. That's been the case for a long time. Uh, And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not saying people aren't concerned about that and don't care, nor that they don't care about it. They obviously do. But the extent to which it moves the dial in terms of polling, I'm not really sure. 
So whilst I'm completely convinced it's going to become a political football uh, at the next general election, we'll see. I mean, we've, we've had this before. Every conservative leader since they've been in power at the UK level have used Wales as a political football. David Cameron called office like the line between life and death. And I don't necessarily think that that has massively, massively impacted uh, Welsh elections. You see the odd ex ex exception to that. So um, in North Wales with Betty Cadwallader House Board, I know there are some MPs, Conservative MP uh, and parliamentary candidates who have used the state of local health services in their general election campaigns, even though they will have no say how over how those hospitals are run when they're elected. After the break, we'll be looking at who might be Wales's next first minister. Do you need a gift that's priceless? Liberal, free-thinking journalism has never been more important. Give the stories and the perspectives that matter with 20% off our gift subscriptions this holiday season. View the link on the show notes to save 20%. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. How about um, the front runners to replace Drakeford? Um, Vaughan Gething is probably has the biggest name recognition because he was health minister during the pandemic. I mean, would he be in the running? And who who else have you got your eye on? So yeah, there was uh, information that came out late last night, which says that uh, Vaughan is very likely to announce his candidacy imminently. So Vaughan, having come second last time and also had an increase in his profile during the pandemic, being the Welsh government health minister at the time, is, is very much a front runner at the, at the moment. Uh, the other candidates are likely to be uh, Jeremy Miles, who is the Minister for Education and Welsh Language, uh, Hannah Blythin, who is the Deputy Minister for Social Partnership. And there is still some doubt as to whether Aline Morgan, the Minister of Health and Social Services, who also stood last time and came third, whether she will stand uh, in this upcoming uh, election. Uh, I don't want to get too geeky and noosh, but it's quite a weird process to get on the ballot at the moment. So when we approved our, um, the changes to the Senate, our, our views on Senate reform, well, at the same conference, we changed our leadership rules as well. So... Now you either need six MSs to get on the ballot or three MSs plus uh, seven CLPs or three MSs plus three affiliates, two of which must be trade unions. So theoretically, you could have more people on the ballot than even that. But from what I'm hearing, it'll be a three or four person contest. Who do you think, this might be an unfair question, but who do you think would be sort of Welsh Labour's best hope to take them forward sort of post-Drakeford? <laughs> Thank you for that wonderful hospital <laughs> part of the question. Is. It's very hard to say until they set out their stalls. I can tell you certainly what the sort of public perception of them is. Mm -hmm. So uh, Vaughan has, again, I think a very unfair categorization as being more on the right of the party. I don't think that's that's fair. I always say that in Wales, even our Blairites are left wing. 
There's not a huge <laughs> amount of difference politically between any of the four candidates. Um, there is a perception that Vaughan is very close to um, the UK Labour leadership. Although, again, I think that's unfair, but I think that will play a big part in the next election. Jeremy is from the conversations I've had with opposition. Uh, MS is the one they sort of worry about the most if he became FM because for, for, he's a fluent Welsh speaker, mm -hmm. very much in that sort of clear Edwater, soft, civic, progressive nationalism of Mark Drakeford and Rodney Morgan and Carrie Jones before him. Um, and Leonid Morgan, as he obviously has been running the L uh, Welsh NHS for the last few years. And in Wales, that's a very difficult uh, position from which to run for leader. But at the same time, you're going to get a uh, big, big name boost, na notoriety boost from having that role. Uh, Hannah Blythin is the most junior member of that, um, of that group, currently Deputy Minister for Social Partnership has ushered through the social partnership and public procurement legislation, quite a big fair work and trade union supporting piece of legislation. So we'll have, I think, a good amount of support from the trade unions in Wales. But as I said, Anoush, any of the four, I think would be a fantastic first minister because there's not going to be a huge amount of difference uh, in terms of what they campaign on because the Welsh Labour focus is always very clear. It's protecting the NHS, supporting people in work, trying to grow the economy, it's, it's not going to differentiate too much between any of the candidates. Okay, interesting. And we should say to our listeners who don't know, Vaughan Gething is actually the economy minister at the moment. Um, and so this means Welsh Labour will be trying to replace its leader in what's likely to be a general election year. I mean, you're uh, predicting a May election. Some say it could be autumn. Others say it could be as late as January 2025. But still, it does complicate a leadership election somewhat. It probably means that people are paying closer attention than they usually would. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be working in Welsh Labour HQ at Transport House right now, Anoush, <laughs> if, if I was trying to organise a leadership election and a general election campaign at the same time. So my sympathies go out to all my friends <laughs> at Welsh Labour HQ. But certainly, I think if you look at the timescale for this election, which I don't think we've covered it actually. So yeah. the w Welsh Executive Committee met last night. My understanding is that the official timescales will be out some point tomorrow, but it's looking like a 14-week contest with nominations opening some point next week with the result coming sort of mid to late March. Yeah. So uh, those of you who could do electoral maths quickly in your head, if we're looking at a May general election, the, the announcement of the result for the next First Minister of Wales will be happening probably at some point during the early part of the short campaign. So that, of course, will uh, bring with it a lot of media attention. You know, and uh, notoriety and public awareness is a double-edged sword. It could be a brilliant thing for Welsh Labour to have all this media attention on its new leader so they can uh, show it to be trusted by the membership to lead us into the next general election. Or if it's a difficult and stressed campaign, it could cause some tension and maybe... Uh, I, I don't say I don't say stop the power of a Welsh Labour election campaign, but certainly slow it down in the first couple of weeks anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and I know, you know, it's a very busy time for you, so I should let you go. But just one last question. You did mention earlier in our interview the idea of what Drakeford's legacy might be. I wonder if you sort of have any uh, sort of picture of, of how it's shaping up or is it is it too early to tell? Uh, again, I think it's impossible to uh, take away the legacy of Mark Drakeford from the whole history of devolution, you know, from special advisor to the first minister, 
second leader of Welsh Labour, Roger Morgan, uh, to uh, Minister for Health, Minister for Finance, under Carwyn Jones, to then eventually becoming First Minister. His history is writ large in our own. So whether, and, and also very clearly, his political ideology has been a significant part of how Welsh Labour has operated in the last 25 years of devolution, whether that be his fundamental tenet, which is progressive universalism. This has been reflected in policies like universal free prescriptions to his clear red water speech that he wrote for Roger Morgan, then first minister, which set out this very clear agenda for, uh, for Wales in terms of how we will operate our public services, which has then evolved into this sort of way that we feel about the relationship with the UK state. I think it's impossible to, to take away all of these things from, from Welsh politics and, and from Wales. I just don't think that we'd be the same country, party, or, or parliament without Mark. It's really great. Thank you so much, Matt, for taking the time. Um, and hopefully we'll have you on again as the leadership contest is shaping up. Um, but I'll let you get back to what is probably an extremely busy time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Anoush. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and you can type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my guest, Matt Hexter. I'll be back with the team tomorrow to answer your questions in our next episode, You Ask Us. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes.